Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Greg White here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how are we doing today? See that? I came prepared. <laughs> Always planning I'm, ahead. Always trying to find a new way to sneak that in. You yeah. know? <laughs> the, uh, what do they call that? A bro? I didn't do that. <laughs> Big week of content continues. Big show today. Are you ready yeah. for this, Greg? Yeah, I'm excited about this. This, uh, I love the way that you've coined this phrase. I'll let you get it out there, but it's always good to get someone from the inside, right? To be able to tell us about the, you know, facts, the truths, the opportunities, the, and even the warts of, you know, technology and how companies are embracing, adapting, adjusting. Yes. So eloquent there. Well, as you mentioned, today's show, we're kicking off a new mini series here entitled Decoding Digital Transformation, sponsored by our friends at NextWorld. So today's show, Greg, as you're alluding to, is the first of three installments, and we're going to be focused today on the critical question, the critical question, how do we get here? All with a big-time guest in Lyle Ekdahl. Greg, we really enjoyed pre-show conversations, and I think our audience is in for a treat, huh? Yeah, agreed. I'm looking forward to it. Lyle is going to be an interesting conversation. Yes, it yes, will. So, but folks, we want to hear, we're going to hear from Lyle, we're going to hear from Greg, we want to hear from you too. So use that chat function in the sky seats to let us know what you think as we work through today's conversation. Now, Greg, are you ready for me to introduce a little bit? I want to foreshadow some of Lyle's background before we bring him on. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Wonderful. And folks, goodness gracious, Joshua in Chandler, Arizona, Enio from Boston, Joanne from New Jersey. Hey, Mary Kate's with us back today. Welcome, everybody. Looking forward to hearing from you all. So our guest today, as I mentioned, you're in for a treat. Lyle Ekdahl is a recovering enterprise software executive. He's an accomplished executive that's worked at big companies, Microsoft, Oracle, J.D. Edwards, slash PeopleSoft, and many others. And get this, Greg, our guest has sold on every continent except Antarctica, as you might expect. Well, Antarctica is a tough market, let me tell you. <laughs> Penguins are discerning buyers. Oh, man. And he's worked with companies across all industries. So in for a treat, let's welcome in our guest here today, featured guest, Lyle Ekdahl. Hey, hey, Lyle, how you doing? Is that all, is that all I need to do, Greg? To be Well, we needed that. And those red shades, I'm so disappointed you didn't bring those red shades, Lyle, that we had in the promo shop. We'll save that for the next show. How about that? You bet. You know, those are actually from a customer, an Italian glassmaker. That used to be a customer of mine. Really? Wow. Oracle. Yeah. Well, that's just, I can only imagine the stories there. And we're going to glean a few stories and critical insights, valuable insights here today. But I'm, before we get there, I'm going to start because we learned, Greg, we learned a little about Lyle in these pre-show conversations. Right. And we found out that in some of your free time, you write music. So, Lyle, today, as you may know, is National Margarita Day. There's going to be parades everywhere. That takes my brain directly to, of course, Jimmy Buffett, right? 
But I'm going to ask you and Greg, starting with you, Lyle, what artists or songs come to your mind when you think of the word margaritas? Well, when I think of the word margaritas, I guess I go in a completely different direction here. I do not like to waste away. Okay. So I think directly to some of the great progressive music that I enjoy and that I attempt to write. So when you think of Margaritaville, when you think of margaritas, you think of limes, salt, yeah, okay, and sun. And to me, that sets up a really interesting potential modal interchange. Right. So you've got your salt, which I mean, you got your wine. Let's start there. You got right, your wine. Right. And that can be somewhat bitter. Right. So maybe aeolian mode, you know, minor mode, a little sadder. <laughs> right. And then you move into the salt, salt, the spice of life. Right. That's maybe more major or maybe even a little Dorian, you know, mode in there. And then finally you get the sun very bright. So you're going to, you're going to, you're going to sharp. Um, one of your, one of your steps in your scale, and therefore you're in the Phrygian mode. And so to me, you know, that margarita is the perfect progressive song. Okay, man, that's gotta be Greg. Uh, that's gotta be one of our most thought out expertly <laughs> responded to fun warm up questions we've had yeah, in the 30 seconds you gave me. Yeah. yeah. My <laughs> next hand gesture. You're rough. <laughs> okay. Well, so Greg, well, what comes so, to your mind? Yeah, clearly not as skilled a musician as Lyle's, but that's very impressive, all of those varying scales and whatnot. So all I have to say when I think of Margaritas, I do think of Jimmy Buffett, but not Margaritaville. I mean, that song, I was just a kid, baby, when that song right. came out in 1977, but it really launched him to fame. And it's interesting, you know, some of the songs that have come along since or be or have been rejuvenated, right, over his career. I mean one of the most prolific songwriters and real estate developers. And there, there are whole, I don't know if you know this, Scott, wow. there are whole housing developments called Margaritaville, or there's one at Hilton Head called Latitudes. Really? Okay, so it's a 55 and up neighborhood, Community. right? Okay. Yeah, and you can drive golf carts. Now, just imagine sitting at a bar called Margaritaville with your golf cart, <laughs> and you're driving home to your pink, purple, yellow It's like Key West on the mainland. It is absolute mayhem. And they are constantly hauling golf carts out of ponds and off the curbs. (laughs) I think Bill Murray got in trouble for that one time. (laughs) I think you're right. I think probably one one of many things he got in trouble doing. But but one less, I'll I'll put, so I I think of Jimmy Buffett too. And I love y'all's answers. We need a whole show dedicated to National Margarita Day. But there's a great, documentary on Netflix, I think it's called Parrot Heads, as you might expect, because mm-hmm. the community in the kind of the modern sense of what he has built, the following, it is amazing what people do as part of the Parrot Head Nation. So, all right. So now that we've had a little fun, thank you, Lyle, by the way, for playing and indulging us, you and Greg both. And let's move into, so I, Lyle, on the front end, as we welcome Jen, I kind of cherry-picked some aspects of court. It doesn't do you justice, given your distinguished and successful career, but Two-part question for you as we start. So as a recovering enterprise software development executive, tell us a little more about your background. And number two is what are you hearing from companies really across industries today, Law? Okay, well, we'll start with, you know, I chose that moniker because I wanted a way of saying that I'm retired without really being retired. I don't like to work, but I do like to, I do like to talk. 
I like to read and I like to interact with, with people that are using business and technology. I did flirt with starting my own 12 program, 12 step program for people like myself that have spent the better part of four decades in the crosshairs of business and technology application. But I put that aside. Now, maybe since there's going to be some tech layoffs, maybe I should restart that. But I think, you know, I, I take it back to the mid eighties. I was a practitioner. I did a lot of building and running of econometric models and systems, you know, a lot of regression analysis stuff, cost schedule control systems, administrative contract, administrative systems. So you were um, big data. Wow, before big data was a thing. Yeah, I was like, yeah, 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 big data before big data was a thing. A lot of statistics and analysis of that type. And then for some reason, I got this weird bug that's just, I love this technology part of this so much. I want to be part of the revolution that's happening. So when I, when the nineties hit, I sort of made a move into legit. Well, as legit as you can be when you're doing startups. So there's a whole series of startups in there, be some larger companies along the way, but it really transitioned from, you know, networking, network design and build out to information systems, solution providing across basic functions, you know, customer information kinds of management systems, which later became CRM, even did some sales automation work. Call centers were really big in the 90s, right? So there's a lot of call center automation in my back background as well there. I even then tried my hand at doing another startup, which was my own independent consulting, where I really talked to a whole set of, of different you know, vendors across different automation platforms, including, you know, auto-based, you know, autometrics-based platforms, that sort of things. And then in the 2000s, yeah. I got sucked into what I call the J.D. Edwards PeopleSoft Oracle Vortex. <laughs> so, you know, had a few stints of big corporate life, but this was, you know, this was all in big mergers, acquisitions, obviously, that occurred through those errors, eras. I started off doing product strategy within that set of companies. And eventually I ended up inheriting all development, product development responsibility for the JD Edwards set of products and all that implies. And then through my career at Oracle, eventually became an SVP of product management where they throw a whole lot of other responsibilities on you. So not only was I running JD Edwards, but I was dabbling in a bunch of program management across other ERP lines at Oracle. Oracle has multiple ERPs. People should notice that. And then later on did a cloud development for vertical extensions, that sort of thing. So that's a bit of my quick background. Well, if I can really quick, because the second part of this question is what you're seeing across the industries, but Greg, given all his, I mean, you know, given all the different sectors and models and industries he's been in, this is going to be intriguing. I think it's very holistic in terms of Lyle's background. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah, you probably touched a ton of different types of enterprises, manufacturers, retailers. I mean, just based on who you've talked to, right? Distributors, all every aspect of that. And I think all the way from the nascent days, right, of ERP before it was even called ERP or when they were still trying to establish that terminology, all the way through the maturation of the big ERPs and then these sort of cloud native ERPs that exist out there today. I mean, and, you know, and from the days when ERP was just a finance system to all the things that it came to encompass over the years, either through development or acquisition, depending on what company you're, you're talking about. And right. It, it became a little like the Borg, didn't it? <laughs> well, it had to be, it had to be fed, right? So I think yeah, it was, 
growing and growing. Well, um, and Lyle, Lyle and Greg, we're going to dive into that in just a moment. It's perfect timing. And the Borg is such a great reference. A couple quick comments. See him. Big fan. Product is awesome. So is Oracle. She's a big fan of maybe your previous work. And Chris says, fellow recovering enterprise. So, hey, Lyle. <laughs> um, I love that notion. I am going to start this 12-step program. I really it probably know. takes one while. I mean, yeah, that does. <laughs> well, so before we get, before we dive into what you and Greg were just alluding to, really, as you're, as you see businesses out there really across industries, what are a couple of your observations, especially given your background law? Well, it's, I have a simple way of viewing the world. Life is a bell curve. <laughs> okay. And, and like a <laughs> you know, and within, you know, all the different customers over all the different things I've done, it really, really that this bell curve is characterized kind of 50, 50, right? You've got half of it where, you know, technology is a necessary evil, right? You know, it's all about cost containment, right? It's all about, I, I love the term, sweat the asset, right? We're going to put a bunch of money in here. So and then, and then let's sweat that asset, do nothing for the next two decades, right? So that's sort of half your market. And there is that mindset out there. Now, obviously there's shades of gray as you move towards the middle, right? But then, it, then there's this other side, right? This flip side that says, you know, systems are there to help us accomplish great goals, big goals, right? To help fuel our growth as a company. And we're going to use technology as a way to help us differentiate ourselves in the marketplace. And so customers, what you hear is some form of that dichotomy all the time. And you really know, you know, what you're dealing with, what the characterization of the company is. Some of this breaks down by industry, but really it's a characterization of the company itself, right? And have they embraced technology in concert with business, right? Or is technology there to just merely serve the business and drive productivity, like drive costs, get all the costs down, you know, especially on the administrative side to, to, to near zero, right? Yep. All right. So, Greg, when I hear Lyle say that, it takes me to several of your mantras. You know, what comes to your mind, though, is Lyle kind of talk about what's going on out there in industry? Well, you know, I've always thought of technology as just a hammer. It's a better hammer than the hammer you had before. And it is subject to exactly this, the foundational principles of the growth model of the company, whether you are sweating the asset, which is a great term. Very cool. It is. Whether you're sweating the asset or whether you are truly growing or you're somewhere in between, and many companies seem to be struggling with simply trying to get additional efficiency and getting over the, you know, the middle of the bell curve towards the, we really see this as a lever to grow our business. I wonder though, it's, I'm curious, Lyle, as you've observed this over four decades or so, have you seen the bell curve shift in any way more towards the enabling growth? Is the long tail lesser on the sweating the asset aspect of it or... I'm just curious. I don't really. No, I, I think that long tail is still there. Definitely, definitely see that. But yeah, I think there is an awakening, is what I would say. That there, there is a different journey, right? Because the landscape has changed so much, right? 
but that there's actually a journey here that's implied. Yeah. And, you know, it used to be so much about destination, right? Hey, if we get to this point, this is a real Y2K kind of post Y2K thing, right? Is we're going to, we're going to drive to this point. We're going to put in place this modern system. It's going to retain our costs. It's going to, it's going to be the central repository, you know, all of our information. And it's going to provide us the sort of the business process cop, right? right? It's going to constrain, you know, how people do things within the company. And then we'll be just perfect. Yeah. Right. And then we can leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Right. Dangerous words. Yeah. We can leave it alone. There's an awakening that maybe that mindset is a little broken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I want to share two quick thoughts. First off, we're talking about recovering executives, recovering students of ERP, as T squared points out. Inventors and practitioners of ERP. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is a little backdrop. So we're moving now into your take on what ERP is now. But I think backdrop, you might would agree here, you know, capital more and more is becoming more scarce and scarce. We've all seen some numbers, the deals, numbers changing. And of course, the, ta- the challenge of the talent market, right? Talent scarcity is something that we're all struggling with as well. Lyle, would you agree with that? And then let's move forward. Yeah, I would say those are two huge elements that have shifted the competitive landscape from one that used to be much more sector or even industry focused to now being cross industry, cross sector, right? To get that great talent, to be able to capitalize your dreams and vision. It's just, it's scarce. Yeah. And on, on top of that, we're pouring the gasoline of newer technologies that are really coming to fruition and mainstream viability so much quicker than they did when we all started on this journey, you yeah. know, say 40 years ago. And it makes for a very unsettling landscape unless you have a, agility, right? Unless you, you have built systems that have that agility in mind, it's going to be very difficult for you to sort of sustain the status quo. It's a going out of business plan, maybe not quite that dark, but it is a little dark because it's the road to irrelevancy. Ah, okay. So let's cling to that status quo. You're already kind of talking to what you're maybe perhaps what you're thinking about ERP as it stands today, but speak more to that. And then also speak to, Lyle, has ERP, how much has it changed or has it really changed maybe over the last 10 or 20 years? Your thoughts, Lyle. Okay. So I have, this is where, let's just get right into it now. Yeah. Supply chain now. This is where I have a tendency to overcomplicate. So let me take a step back and I'll oversimplify first. Okay. ERP today has a negative side and a positive side. And I have no shortage of POV on this, but on the negative side, ERP is plagued by a branding and positioning issue that is being exacerbated by what I call the big box vendors okay. and their drive to sort of continue to reinvent like for like kinds of feature functions. And then there are also this set of generational issues that beset the consumers and the practitioners that are underscored then by this rapidly shifting techno business landscape. So the result right, is a state of a lot of overpromise, a lot of overinvestment, under-delivery, frankly, underutilized, mostly, you know, meaningless, (laughs) 
continuous feature function explosion. And it's led to inertia, frankly, for a lot of companies, right, that sit in this landscape. They have the decreasing return on investment in these like-for-like efforts that they go through. And at the end, zero real differentiation for most customers using these systems. Okay. That, that, that's pretty negative. Yes. On the positive side, I have never been more excited about the potential for ERP to not just enable companies to seek those new levels of productivity and asset utilization, but to drive, you know, new levels of customer satisfaction and frankly, sustainable growth. Okay. And it's all based on the technology that's coming to bear on the market. Okay. That's a fair, Greg, two-sided coin there that Lyle shared. Your thoughts, Greg? Yeah, I think classical, legacy, traditional ERP is a slave to the era in which most of it was built and designed, which is the late 60s and early 70s. The product did substantially nothing out of the box. And so big accounting firms built big practices to take the core, the platform, whatever you wanted to call it, build functionality on top of that, right? I mean, they started out as basically a finance system, most ERPs did. And if somebody needed something, then Arthur Anderson back in the day or whatever the heck they were called, IBM, whoever implemented these things back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, they built a bunch of... And then the technology companies became a slave to that process because a company that makes $100 million or $400 million or a billion or $4 billion implementing a technology is not going to continue to promote that technology unless they can continue to make that kind of money. And so it stymied, in a way, the development or the systemization of a lot of processes that ERP could have put in place, probably a frustration that Lyle personally experienced, I'm guessing. I know a lot of people <laughs> yeah. have experienced it. Because they were like, no, no, let's not go too far because we have to let our partners have a business here, right? And that became the status quo. And what we're seeing with the generational shift that Lyle has alluded to is exactly the opposite. Starting with Generation X, that's all of us here, I presume, and Y and Z, we're expecting a more configured rather than customized scenario. In some cases, as we go into Generation Y and Z, Millennials and Gen Z, they're expecting it to be substantially appified, where the damn thing works right out of the box and it does what you want it to do. Or with the flip of a couple of switches, it does what you want it to do. And that is the transition. And to Lyle's point, that is the evolution stage that some of these, I think, largely cloud-based ERPs are coming to, right? And that is going to be a beautiful thing. It's also going to be a significant transition for the big ERP companies because it is going to disintermediate at some point all of these big practices that make billions and billions of dollars creating customizations of core technologies. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Greg. I think there is a big coming disintermediation and people, have, which vendors and providers are going to end up playing their role within a layer is what I would say. And underscoring all this will be a platform that allows companies to compose what their ERP solution becomes very easily, very quickly and very easily without a whole lot of, you know, detailed coding expertise. Yep. 
So let's keep going down. You know, Greg was kind of talking about where we're headed next for that matter. You know, how are companies responding to the need and the desire to evolve that business and really what I would say, meet some of those expectations, Greg, that you laid out there. So Lyle, walk us through that. How are you seeing these companies respond to changing needs, expectations, and the outcomes that they have to get? Yeah. So what I would say, Scott, is this is really based all on observing customers, thousands and thousands of customers. And you can take that continuum that we started with, right? With the line down the middle. Let's go ahead and create a matrix out of that, a classic two by two, right? And what it really defines for us is four patterns, okay? Four patterns of customer mindset, behavior when it comes to their systems. On the left side, we sort of talked about it. That was that traditional stuff. The right side, right, is a new, new thing, right? E easy way to lay it out. We've got down in our bottom left-hand corner, you got the maintainers. These are the people that are, you know, they're sweating that asset. ERP is just there to make sure that our administrative functions are done if, as efficiently as possible, right? Yep. Related to those guys on top of that are people that are the re-engineers. We're going to take what you maintainers are going to do and we're going to recast it and keep recasting it, <laughs> Okay. Boy, we can fix that GL. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we're going to recast that in different technical lights all the time. The other two patterns, right, that, that are more associated with innovation and differentiation are the transformers, those people that are actually using technology to change the way they do business, right? And then the reinventors, and those are the ones that have these agile processes that allow them to not just change the way they're doing business, but the business that they're doing, right? So if you can look at the left-hand side is the supply curve, <laughs> and the right-hand side is the demand curve. Simple way to think about it. What we really want to do is get companies to go on a journey where they're not just shifting the supply curve out, right? right? But they're changing that demand curve and taking that to a different plane, shifting that up and to the right. Yep. And That's those are really the four, those are the four patterns that I see. I mean, inherent is that is uh, inherent in this is this conflict and what is ERP? Is it a dessert topping or a floor wax? <laughs> but, you know, I think we're getting beyond that, especially as people move to that transforming and reinventing stage and mindset. Okay. So let's, Greg, I want to get you to respond to these four quadrants that Lyle mentioned. The maintainers, the re-engineers, the transformers, the re-inventors. All we're missing maybe is the mouseketeers. What? <laughs> Greg, res respond to how Lyle laid that out. I love that. Yeah, I think you said it earlier, Lyle. You said, if we get to this point, then we'll do something else. That is the mindset of the maintainers and largely of the mm -hmm. re-engineers. They are certain that there is anywhere for them to go. It's really, it really is a business mindset for them. And I think that prompts the kind of approach that they take to not just ERP, but technology generally, right? Generally. I mean, I was fortunate to sell, you know, an, a configurable cloud native technology in 2011, which was, I mean, sounds like it was a million years ahead of its time. Right. Honestly, it felt like we were about 11 years late. 
But having experienced the inertia that Lyle has talked about with those maintainers and re-engineers, they're not trying to improve their business. Think of them as your grandparents. They're in wealth protection mode, buying bonds and keeping their money in savings accounts so that there is no volatility in the business and basically riding it out until the inevitable end that they see of their business. And then you get on the other side of the curve to the transformers and especially the reinventors. The reinventors are really sort of transcendent to this whole thing, but the, those two mindsets are more, we can expand this business or even change this business to be something different than it is. And this technology enables us to do that by giving us information, by in some cases improving productivity, but also giving us insights into the business that we otherwise wouldn't have had, right? And that's what I see here as a difference is really the line between growth mindset and grandparent mindset is kind of the top of the bell curve, I imagine, of these companies that are some way out on the growth end and others way back on the maintaining the status quo. Yep. And all right. So thank you. Greg, I tell you, y'all two are vibing. We need about six more hours <laughs> with Plow and Greg. I was going to say, we're going to get it all figured out, really. Um, six hours of here. Isn't that what we retired from, Lyle? That's no, right. Hard. Recovered from six hours. hours. Greg, we could get some margaritas. Yes. Sit okay. around the fire and yes. talk about that. Now I'm in. And figure yeah. it all out. All right. So let me depart for a second. Lyle, I want to come back to you and do a follow up on these four phases. But before I do that, we had, we've had some great comments here. Really quick, CM is responding to the, that that talent scarcity we mentioned earlier. She says, many say talent's hard to find, but systems like Oracle just need a little bit of playing with. I'm not an IT pro and didn't know how to use it until day one of work, but leveraged ERP quickly for plant bomb. So respectable opinion there for sure, CM, and congrats on figuring that thing out for sure. Chris says, enter ERP marketplaces and system integrators finally accepting best of breed. Now, that seemed to be a lot of folks agreed with his comment there. And then Randy says, agree, Greg, team members want it to work out of the box. However, with a big but, when we need to customize, we want to change using a no-code requirement. And then finally, Enio, or maybe Dr. Falesco, if I said that right, thanks for joining us. Lyle, I'd always assumed that the Transformers included the reinventors. So I want to take that comment. I want to go back to those phases here, Lyle, to us. Is there a big difference between where companies are in these four patterns and where they want to be? Yeah, I would say for the most part, yes. Right. Again, we've talked a lot about sort of that lower right and conquering down and we don't need no reinvention around here until I retire. Right. So let's set that aside. When you look across the other quadrants, I think one of your commenters really sort of hit it. There, there is an affinity across those other, those other quadrants and there is an implied journey there. So in reality, there, we do have to come to grips with a couple of things. First, that I think most people recognize that there is a strong correlation between the reinventors the tra- and the transformers, I would say to agree, those that are going to think cloud first, mobile first, there's a correlation between that and sort of high achievement and more sustainable growth. The number today is still relatively small, is what I would say. Although, you know, maybe your audience skews towards that, given what I hear Greg talking about. Sure. <laughs> but there is that long tail out there, right? Mm-hmm. We did talk about that. At the end of the day, 
I think most companies have a goal, and that goal is not to become irrelevant. Okay? Nobody wants to be irrelevant. I will tell you that buying aging parts for your AS400, you know, on eBay, you know, which I've had customers that were doing that, or even clinging to a vendor prescribed best practice circa Y2K is really, again, that road towards irrelevance. And I think people are moving from that sort of vast middle into more of the transforming, reinventing quadrants. And I think that's represented by your audience. I mean, the important thing to note here is that we have crossed the Rubicon, right? Yes. Technology is embedded in everything we do (laughs) and in every business process. Yeah. Right. And so you, you can't deny it anymore. And so the key is, how do you harness it? Yes. Right. There's no saying I used to use. It's a technology so powerful it can be used for good or evil. <laughs> what I would say is jump on it, lean into it, learn it, like one of your commenters said, yep. and yep. apply it. Yes. And then it, you can control it and you will drive your business to that desired goal. And we're going to be talking about that desired goal in just a second, but I, I got to go back to this analogy. And yes, a T-squared who holds down the fort force on YouTube, this is a brain-picking session. And if they add a guitar, <laughs> they might add some guitar-plucking yeah. session too. But you know, Greg, some folks, uh, Lyle mentioned the road to irrelevance. Some folks are shooting down that road like it's I-20 and they're doing 85 miles an hour headed towards irrelevance. Maybe less and less so, perhaps, due to the transformation and how the market and the opportunities to embrace new technology is out there more and more. Greg, respond to Lyle's comments there a minute ago, and then we're going to get to both of you, especially Lyle, talking about what the answer here is. Greg? Well, to your question, right, which is, are companies where they, what is it? Are companies where they want to be? Right. Or I'm not even sure many companies can realistically assess where they are, right? There is a certain amount of cognitive dissonance in every company. You're always more or less progressive, more or less innovative than you actually think you are, right? And regardless of what you put on the wall, you could be one of those companies that is completely stagnant and think that you're growing. You could be feigning it because the type, you know, as I said, you could be in wealth protection mode. I've seen many of those businesses where the main goal, and, and this is important, as Lyle's been talking about, the main goal of the company was to just make sure that the owner got a new Mercedes or a new pickup truck every year. But I think the important thing to think about as we talk about is people continue to bring up the technologies, blockchain and no code and all of that. That's not what's important here. ERP is not what's important here. What's important here is that you align technology, as Lyle said earlier, with the goals of your business. And then you figure out where that technology solves approximate problem to advance or maintain, Lyle, right? Your business. That's, That's right where you want it to be or where you want it to go. But I think what's important, and I think what's an important realization and evolution of business people's understanding of technology is simply that. Some are there, some aren't there, but it's just a hammer. It's a bigger, faster, hotter hammer, but it's just a hammer, right? And if you're swinging at the wrong thing, it doesn't matter that you're driving driving nails faster, right? Yes. so the understanding of what you're yeah, going let's to do a bad thing really fast. Other technologies fit in that. Sorry, go ahead, Lyle. I said let's do a bad thing really fast. Yeah, oh, exactly. 
I know you've had those kind of implementations. We were talking about this oh, yeah. just the other day. And, you know, there's a lot of ERPs take a lot of heat for implementations gone bad, but there is plenty of blame to go around. And you've got to recognize that the companies that are implementing this technology, they have to take charge of that process. They cannot sit back and be subject to what someone outside their business, either the implementation consultants or the technology company, believe because even with the goodness in the hearts of all of those people, and there is, I believe, substantial goodness in those people's hearts, they don't know the intricacies of the business and they don't often are not getting full communication as to the real goals of the business in implementing these technologies. And that's where these things go awry. Yes. All right. So to finish this thought, I think we're all kind of on the same page because as you are talking about going, it's not good enough to go faster because you could be going faster in the completely wrong direction. I think Greg learned that lesson from an uncle in Kansas as he was learning to drive a few years back. But Lyle, let's move on because I want to, you know, you clearly, given your holistic background, successful background across all sorts of technologies and different models, it sounds like you've arrived at what the answer is out there for where we are here, 2023. So, social awareness. Yes. <laughs> so we're about, we're about to have an epiphany. So tell us about, in your view, what's the answer, or at least a big part of it, and why, equally as important, why is it so important for companies to get where they want to go especially when you consider those four quadrants you laid out earlier. So what's the answer, Lyle? Right. right. Yeah, I think the answer today lies in the notion of an enterprise application platform. Okay, so something that allows for the various levels of value, those that are sort of horizontal feature functions, right? That maybe you shouldn't be re-engineering every seven years, right? That allows those to be maintained at the same time, allows you to focus your attention on your industry and your and where you're going to make your money. Not just how you're counting your money, but how you make your money, right? And allows you to apply technology, call it a hammer, if you will, to those things that allow you to better define how you make money and then how to differentiate yourself from those in your industry and your competitors across industry, right? And so it has to be aware of the foundational, but you don't always have to start there. And I see that to me as one of the biggest problems. Well, we're going to, you know, we need to make this change in mindset. So what we're going to do is we're going to throw out everything (laughs) and go ahead and start at the bottom yet again. Right. And I think for many customers that have moved beyond sort of that you know, yeah, we installed it 20 years ago. We haven't touched it. Those people have real technical debt. There's no doubt about that. That's a major issue that they have got to deal with. You know, 1986 is called and it wants a system back, right? So, but setting those people aside for the rest of those that kind of re-engineer, reinvent and transform, right? Are part of that overall journey. Why not start with where it has the most impact for the business, where the biggest return is for the buck, right? And some of us in the industry refer to this as sort of, you know, edge in towards the enterprise. Like we read for years and years, especially in the 80s, that it was really bad to be, you know, inside out focused. We should be outward in focused. Well, why don't we take that same approach with our systems? Because we know that's where the biggest impact is for our companies. Yes. Yep. Okay. So a platform that allows for that 
certainly something that gives us that agility that combines those with domain knowledge and good systems thinking, you know, with our coding brethren, right? So it's not like one is evil and so it shall be no code. You need coders, you need engineers, trust me. But you also need those people that are very steeped in business and then also systems thinking to be able to work on that differentiation. The other thing is best practices, right? Those are great when you have a deterministic system, right? When you've got a system where the rules are very set forth, like in your administrative functions. When you get into your industry capabilities or your differentiated capabilities, you need to be more stochastic, right? You need to use creativity, right? You need to embrace those things. And, the, and a platform needs to be able to map to those abilities. So, so really, at the end of the day, it is a holistic enterprise application platform that we can get to without having to completely rip out our infrastructure to begin with. Okay. All right. So I got to go back to your phrase. Greg, I'm going to get you a comment here in just a second. Lyle said 1986 called, <laughs> that's called technology back. Because I sit here in my parachute pants, getting ready to watch some AT reruns tonight. <laughs> that speaks to my soul. Lyle, so thank you. <laughs> that's right. Going to a Menudo concert, maybe. But Lyle, wonderful. Greg, speak to that in terms of what's the answer and the platform, Lyle, was a kind of painting the picture in our minds. Your thoughts, Greg? Yeah, I, I'm going to paraphrase another statement that somebody has made about tradition and I think very similarly about best practice. Best practice is peer pressure from dead people. So I mean, the, <laughs> well, wow, that is great. All best practice is simply maintaining. If you think about it, it is often, it's often being a practice that has been in place. And I think particularly now where data is ever more present, ever more available and ever more robust and robustly processed to start thinking about various best practices that are constrained by the data or the capabilities of the times, right? Forecasting is a great example. Right. We have long forecasted items don't do anything. And yet we talk about them like they're people. There's, they have seasonality. They have trends. They have that. Look at any item that's been in front of you this entire time. What has it done? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Items simply respond to the actions of people. So what should we be forecasting? We should be forecasting the movers and consumers of those products. That's a foundational thing that needs to change. And now today, for instance, with the data that's available, it's a lot easier to forecast. It ain't easy, or at least to, to use robust data so that when it is available, we can have a better shot at forecasting yes. the actual influencers on the movement of products. Yeah. That's just one example, but I think there's, there are other you know, examples. Greg, I, I haven't taken exception to much of what you said, but well, I, no, I'm just going to pick on a little piece here. Yeah. The items themselves. Yes, the items themselves are not people but they're becoming more intelligent, okay? And they're being embedded with intelligence, with the ability to generate more levels of data ever before thought possible. That, that, that is a huge fundamental impact to business models. Huge. Yeah. And how we view systems and how we interact. Right. And it and, does. And so I think that informs things like forecasting or whatever. You absolutely. Know, absolutely. Of right. Absolutely. That robustness of data. I mean, we could get really deep. Here. Oh, data yes. is at the, data is at the heart of all this. Data is, 
Yeah, data is the application at the end of the day. But I so, think the bigger, so the bigger point there really is that the robustness of data is one example of where it enables us to cease to use best practice and to start to develop and impart, and to your point, Lyle, there are lots of angles to attack this, impart new practice that is better than what we're calling practice today. And it changes. Given the changing state of the world that we live in, it has to be evolutionary. It has to change over time. It's not a one-time thing. Yes, And it has to be informed by the data. And the data will be constantly changing. It'll get richer, (laughs) as we just said, and it will be constantly changing. So let me jump in here. We got a few minutes. We're wrapping up. this now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, really, this it's tough to have these conversations, big, massive, transformational conversations in an hour, less really less than an hour. By the time we make introductions and whatnot, I want to share this quick comment from Kim Winter, our dear friend from Dubai. Great show team. Much of the tech wisdom is way above my pay grade. Kim, kindred spirits, my friend. I feel you. I feel that in the bone. Great to have you here. Okay. So Lyle and Greg, Lyle, get back into you, getting back to you here for a second. So you mentioned the platform and you and Greg both have kind of spoken about the platform that's required, where we are and where we're going. So we're not doing 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction towards the uh, land of irrelevance that you were painting the picture of earlier. Anything else you want to expand on in terms of the concept of that platform, Lyle? And can any thoughts you want to tee up for our next conversation? Because we got two more installments as part of this decoding digital transformation coming. Well, we'll yeah. get to and, six and hours eventually, won't we? Yes. Yeah, I see a whole podcast series that's like, you know, 20 installments long. I like how you think, Lyle. I like yeah. how you think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, platforms don't tell you how to do business. They don't put endless straitjackets on you. I mean, they're not just this race towards the you know, lowest common denominator, right? Yes, the horizontal big box vendors have their role. That's important. But again, I said that there's like this value of ERP capability that drives from administrative up through differentiated. And a platform will embrace that and give you the agility that you're going to need, especially where you're touching the market to try new things, to try, fail, change, right? And do what you have to do to map to your real goals. You know, and as we talked about, it'll be embedded with, with some of the modern technologies. And as new technologies come along, we haven't seen the end of it, right? Because technology change is continuous. So it has to be able to support whatever's next down the road. And I don't have a perfect crystal ball. I couldn't tell you. you know, Are you if sure? I did, I would go to Vegas. I'd be done, right? <laughs> red 19 is the one. Red, <laughs> yeah, 19, red 19 from my crystal ball. <laughs> well, so Lyle, we really spent most of this conversation kind of how do we get here in current state, status quo, and, and including you and Greg both speaking about what we've got to embrace, you know, and really what's next, which is the next installment. We'll touch on that here towards the end. But I got t- just a couple of final questions for you, given the limited time. And Lyle, I know you got a, you got a jam-packed schedule. Let's talk about the why, Lyle, the call to action. So can you quickly, very quickly highlight why it's important for companies to make those changes that y'all both have been speaking to today when it comes to their enterprise applications approach, Lyle? Yeah, I, look, at, I think we set a bunch of this up front, but it's good to underscore it. There is an imperative to change. And it is more, it is more real. And it's more insidious than Y2K, right? It is, it 
incumbent in this notion of the scarcity of labor, the you know ability to get capital, the ability to deal with technological change, because the rules of competition have been rewritten. And there is no turning back. It's only going to go forward. So to me, while it's not a, hey, you got to have this system in place by January 1st because of some marketing hype, right? right? It's not that. It's that slowly but surely, right, your competitors are the reinventors and they will eat your lunch and you will become irrelevant. That's a pretty powerful why. Wow. Thank you very much. Greg, I want to give you in, in, in Reader's Digest fashion or a TikTok fashion, I should say, maybe. What's your brief response to that why, Greg? And then we're going to make sure folks know how to connect with Lyle. Yeah, in a minute and four seconds, Amazon, right? Ultimate reinventor and generational shift. I mean, look, I, w- I was once at a trade show where somebody said, someone who ran a $50 million I think it was HVAC distributor, said, I can't see Amazon being able to do what we do. Fortunately, they said that right before I went on stage. And I said, I can't see them being able to do that either unless they have a free weekend. And you not being able to see it is precisely the problem. Lyle, that is an excellent example of a maintainer, someone who can't even see the future, right? Won't even know their own business to know how easily duplicated it is with enough capital. But also this huge generational shift, right? We keep talking about this. Baby boomers had been retiring at 10,000 a day for what it, is it, half a dozen years now, and 3.1 million additional o- over that retired in 2021. The great resignation was not Gen Z's, Gen X's, or Gen Y's. It was baby boomers. And that is leading to what Lyle is alluding to, which is this incredible shift to which there is no going back. They ain't coming back to the workforce, people. And a lot of the knowledge that leaves with baby boomers is never seen again because it's not documented. If it's from that era prior to Y2K when processes weren't documented, when they were half technological and half manual or whatever, right? And so we have to embrace that this is changing. Also embrace that these new generations don't want to do the work that has been done, that we have held for people for so many years. And that's why robotics and robotic process automation and other technologies are coming to the fore because people don't want the dull, dark, dirty, dangerous, the mundane jobs out there. They know that technology can do it. They see it every day on their phone, right? And they like technology to do it. Yeah. Well said, man. That no, just I, why. I know you run a really tight show here. Yes. Scott. So I, but hey, deep, Lyle, come on 20 seconds, 20 seconds. Yeah, please. You're sure. Because it's embedded in what Greg just said. There are five techno business. Okay. Metatrends that are, will fundamentally change the landscape over the next five years. They are mass automation through, you know, empowered by RPA, but AI and ML. There will be an embracing of all users in the enterprise, real and imaginary, <laughs> okay? All the time across the physical and digital realm, okay? There will be, along with this, there will be mass decentralization fueled by near-field computing types of technologies. There's going to be a return to focus on how you make money. So industry is going to become more and more important and differentiation through low-code, no-code, more important. 
finally, that platform that underscores all this, that can help you orchestrate and compose your ERP. And that's the platform that you and Greg both were alluding to earlier. That's a big that's part right. of the answer moving forward. Okay, Lyle, I hate to leave it here. And really, I, we, I'd love to bolt on a few more hours and get you and Greg and a margarita and Jimmy Buffett and have a good old time, solve a bunch of the world's ills. But Lyle, if folks want to kind of have this conversation with you, bring you in as a keynote, maybe, I'll, are you still doing some consulting? or? Yeah, I do. I, I, or? I, yeah, absolutely. So I do some, some speaking. I consult with vendors, investors, customers on impact of enterprise applications and sort of where, what their characterization is within the matrix and how they move towards higher value delivery of applications. And then, yeah, I sit on some boards of companies. So best way to reach me is at Lyle Ekdahl on Twitter or LinkedIn, Lyle-Ekdahl, E-K-E-A-H-L. It's just that easy. Uh, and we dropped some of those in here in the chat. Appreciate everyone's, I love all the comments coming in. I, I agree. I love Lyle's and Greg's been there, mm -hmm. done that. And where we're going, my expertise. Uh, Lyle, big thanks. We look forward to having you back, I think, on the third installment of the series. We'll touch on that here in just a second. But big thanks to Lyle Ekdahl, Recovering Enterprise Software Executive, and a whole Should bunch more. Looking forward to it. Swoosh me out. <laughs> thanks, Lyle. Thanks, Lyle. <laughs> Good to talk, guys. Man, that, that was, was fun. It really was. We needed a bonus edition, like a big bonus edition of the show here today. Greg, I want to get your final takeaway, but really first, before we start to wrap, big thanks to Next World, right? Yeah. Our friends over there are sponsors of this Decoding Digital Transformation Series. Learn more about all the cool things they're doing, moving mountains, and a lot more at nextworld.net. And as I mentioned, our next installment, so episode two of this Decoding Digital Transformation it's coming up April 27th, Greg. And I, I don't know how it's going to be tough to top this first one. 12 noon Eastern time on April 20th, 27th. We're going to be learning from Greg Davis with Grant Thornton. Of course, a big brand, big organization out there. Focus on the topic of what's next, right? Yeah. Uh, and then third and final installment, we're going to be bringing Lyle and Greg and Greg back together. So that's going to be lit up on the third and final installment. But hey, join us on the second one on April 27th. I think we got a link in the chat. Okay, Greg, as we wrap Micro Machine Man style from the 80s, that's been one of the theme. I love Lyle's comment about 1986 called they want their technology back. Your key thing that folks got to hear from the last hour, and then I'm going to wrap this and send us out. Well, we talked, to, talked about it towards the end there, platform. I think the whole notion that Lyle sort of stripped down to its essence is don't rip out everything and start all over again, right? There are ways to leave an ERP system doing what it does best, and that may be different based on your enterprise, but clearly it is finance and especially international finance coordination. Let's just say it's that. And then put a layer over that to capture all of that, those transactions and all that valuable data for which it is the single source of truth. And then layer on to, I can't remember whose point that was, best of breed type solution for some of those specialist areas. We're seeing that more and more with ERP. Yep. And also expect it to be simple and expect to deliver the user experience in simplified fashion because that is, is what is expected of the coming current and coming generations in the professional world. So just be ready for that. I mean, if you see your kids or if you're a maintainer, your grandkids, 
out there on their phones. Think about your ERP, your technology system, having a cute little baby like that, working on it, but being as simple as the phone that yes. they're on. I love it. And that was, uh, that was our friend, Chris Knapp, that you were alluding to there. Chris, great to have yeah. you here today. Clay and the whole team dropped our, that link to installment number two. It's going to be jam-packed and lit up. So y'all join us for that. Folks, make sure you connect with Lyle. Make sure you venture over to nextworld.net. Check out the cool things that Mark and the team over there are doing. A big thanks to Catherine, Amanda, Clay, Chantel, everyone behind the scenes, part of production. On behalf of Greg, Scott Luton here signing off today. Hey, challenging you to do good, to give forward and to be the change. We'll see you next time right back here. It's watching out. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.